it's happening. Hey, lover. Hey, lover. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. This is Scott Mickish and Nick Gill, where we talk about everything in life from pets to pimples and really hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, you are not our real moms. I have to have my phone so that I don't look at it. Yeah. It comes up with notifications and then it distracts me and then my brain is like somewhere else. And so I need to do everything that I can. Yeah. Put your phone away. Well, I'm just going to use the, I've got one of those little covers on my phone that it holds your credit card and stuff and your license. So it's kind of all in one. I used to, for many years, just carry around all my credit cards, debit card, and my license and just have them free in my pocket. Mm -hmm. And I think there was one time where you and I were going somewhere and I lost my debit card and my license. And we were walking into Oh, yeah. that's And it was in your car, I think. Didn't you find it in your car? No, I found the license, but I didn't find the debit card. And so I canceled it. But yeah, it was really stupid. Well, that's the thing. I need to have a bag. I don't want a big bulging wallet in my pants. You want a tinky winky bag? I need a purse. I well, you need something. And especially mm-hmm. with electromagnetic fields and stuff, like you don't want to carry that stuff in your, even your phones and you know, I carry it in my pocket, but that's not good for you yeah. either. Get a little fanny pack. Yeah, well we bought those backpack things, like those mini backpacks. Those so are it's so like cool. Yeah, so it's basically like a purse, but it's like a backpack thing. But I yeah. need I need one. Like I don't want to carry a wallet. I don't want to carry loose stuff and then you have a big thing of keys mm-hmm. and then you have your phone and it's like you're supposed to put that all in your pocket no you're just asking <laughs> for a panic attack later of you feeling around and being like oh my gosh my keys are gone or oh my gosh my license is gone or my wallet i just think it has to be socialized like men just need to carry a bag with them just like women i feel we, like I've we, been we, need, that. we have too much stuff yeah there's you can't fit, it's fit becoming it more hands. common though for sure like it's not it's not a fashion accessory like it's actually a utilitarian needed item because we have too much stuff that we're carrying around the keys are big the phones are big my keys especially oh boy you've got a mr fix-it key wad yeah (laughs) for a while i don't know i think it was you know like when you're in your 20s you kind of go through different styles or Mm -hmm. things that you think are you're like, this is me now. This is who I am. And then I was like, I'm going to carry my keys on my belt. You know, so I was clipping my keys to like one of my back belt loops. Yeah, because it's too big to put in your pocket. And then I, you know. And did you know that yeah, that's like. A, I've started doing that too because you can't put them in your pocket. Did you know it's like a gay thing? Like it means something in the gay world. Or like back no. in the 70s or 80s or something that they're like, if you have your keys. On your no, means that was, no, that was back in the day. That was. Um, or maybe it was scarves. It was scarves. It, well, oh. not even scarves. <laughs> well, no, like they would tie. Hankies. Like a, they were handkerchiefs. Well. It was like bandanas. They look like bandanas. bandanas. And then they would yeah, like yeah. tie them back there. And there's like. It was when you, you had to be discreet and out in public and you had signals and whatever. And so what if you was, are into all those things and you just have to have a bunch of them? Like right there? I don't know. Oh. I didn't live. Or in maybe that there's era. a color that like represented all of them. Like, yeah, I there was a color. Color. I think there was a color associated, and then it was which pocket you mm. put it in. It was kind of like with the earring back then too. It was if you had an earring in your right ear, supposedly that was a signal that you were gay, and if you had it in oh. your left ear, you were heterosexual. 
Should we do our Pride episode first, then? I don't know. I guess so. Because I feel like we just ventured into Pride territory. I feel grateful that I am able to enjoy the freedoms of the things that people have fought for in our community over the decades, over time. I have really been into lately just hearing about gay history. Is there an all-encompassing term for like, is it LGBTQ? It's so hard. History then? Would you say yeah. that? Or all-encompassing is queer. I. That's a whole other conversation because with queer, the only problem I have with the term queer is that the denotation, not the connotation, but the denotation of queer means strange. Yeah. That is the definition. Sure. It's not derogatory. That is the definition. Mm-hmm. So at some point it's going to become problematic because people are going to continue to use that word as it's defined as strange. In a, and that is derogatory if you're referring to somebody as strange. But it's not derogatory if you refer to somebody in the connotation context, which is the reverse of gay. Like reverse of gay, the denotation meant happy. Mm-hmm. And then the connotation, how we interpreted it as slang, was to allude to like sexually uninhibited, sexually careless, kind of that happy. That's kind of how it morphed into gay. And then it became derogatory. Mm-hmm. And then we took it back saying, okay, we're not going to use it as a derogatory term anymore. So people still say, oh, that's so gay. Or stop being so gay. Like that, that is a connotation that you can call somebody out and say, you're not using that word in the proper way. Mm. It either means happy or it means, you know, a homosexual person. Whereas queer by definition means strange. So you can't go to somebody and say, stop using that word in a derogatory way because they're using it to mean strange. (laughs) So anyway, so that's a long story short, but yeah, between, I mean, now the term is LGBTQ plus or queer is kind of all encompassing, I think too. But queer, does it also kind of include unique, like uniqueness as well as just being strange? Because that would make sense. Like we're I guess, unique from the Well, let me look it up. I will tell you what the actual Webster Dictionary is. The meaning of queer is differing in some way from what is usual or normal. For example, odd, strange, or weird. So to your point, you could, it could possibly be used in the term of unique, Mm -hmm. but in that sense, everyone's unique. Like, we don't have clones of each other. You know what I mean? So it's, on the one hand, I like it because it's all encompassing, but it's it's already a word. It's not slang. It has a definition. And by that definition, it really should apply to everybody. Like, th- And that's kind of why the LGBTQIA plus 2S, it keeps expanding because as people realize, oh, I don't fit into this box, they keep adding letters and labels And so queer really, in essence, covers all of them. But when you really get down to it, we're all unique individuals. So in in some way, every single one of us is queer Mm -hmm. in some way. Sure. So who's making the decision? Who's deciding? Who's the judge of verbiage that's dictating how this word can and can't be used? You know, 
because we're not taking a vote like it hasn't been a democratic process so like who has this power and authority to say how it should and shouldn't be used because in my opinion it really kind of applies to everybody whereas gay specifically means homosexual in in the connotation i mean you know it also has the definition of being happy so you could say oh i'm having a gay time but that doesn't mean you're yeah. having a homosexual time it means you're having a happy time I mean, when I was growing up, um, I was called queer in a derogatory way. And so when that started to get used in a more common way now, in a, or I guess in a positive way, it was hard for me at first to kind of reconfigure how I think about that word. Mm -hmm. But now I've actually warmed up to it quite a bit. And I found myself just using queer like in conversation. Mm -hmm. without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking about it, obviously, a little bit more because we're kind of trying to dive mm -hmm. into it a little bit. But mm -hmm. So I guess, in a way, it kind of gives me a little bit of closure with that word mm -hmm. um, from when... And I know that people who are more mature in the LGBTQ plus community mm -hmm. who do also have feelings about it where they're like, I didn't associate anything good mm -hmm. with that word either early mm -hmm. on. But... I'm I'm starting to really warm up to it and um, yeah, uh, go ahead. Well, it's not even generationally though. That's what a lot of younger people don't understand. Like, it's not just a matter of not embracing the term; mm -hmm. it's a matter of understanding language mm -hmm. and really grasping language, not just jumping on board because it's the hot new term, and you embrace it. And I'll give you the example: if somebody said, "That's so gay." Meaning, strange, mm -hmm. odd, unusual, something they don't really like. That's derogatory, because that's not how gay is used. Again, it's either to identify a homosexual person or to say happy. So that is a derogatory use of the word. Mm. To say, ah, that's so queer is a proper, correct, absolutely appropriate way of using the term. Because it means odd, strange, unusual, something I maybe don't like or I'm not used to. So <laughs> the problem being is that when somebody uses it in a derogatory way, it's, they're, still, it's ab they're absolutely correct in using that word. Mm -hmm. And so now we're saying, oh, it's a positive word too. Well, that's fine, but that doesn't eliminate the definition of the word that people are going to continue to use. And not meaning gay. Like if somebody says queer, they're not meaning gay. They're not, it's not slander against the homosexual community. They're meaning it in its original. It's like someone using gay for meaning happy. Mm -hmm. If somebody says that's a gay old time, they're not incorrect. Yeah. That's the definition of the word. So I just, I mean, what? I don't know if you're following me, but it's like the actual definition is a negative connotation. So we can't go around now shaming people for using queer in a negative, in a negative way, because that's the definition of it. Whereas gay, the derogatory use was negative, but the actual definition of the definition of the word wasn't negative. I mean, you maybe, what maybe, maybe someone will say, <laughs> maybe someone who's not um, very aware of how things have changed and they're just like that's so queer oh, yeah but what? that's the meaning that's the meaning of the word no i know but it's what not if, like you can say tell people don't stop using this word as it was meant to be you yeah know what I mean? but what if it's someone who was like saying oh that's so queer 
in a derogatory way, but then the person who they're saying it to is like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for using it that way. And then uh, for using the correct term for me. And then the person's like, wait, what? And then that totally changes their mind. They're like, wow, I just did something good for this person. And then they, <laughs> their, their thinking totally changes and then they become an ally to the community. Wow. Yeah. They accidentally became an ally. And they receive positive reinforcement yeah, for it. No, I mean, what you're saying is, and that's valid, that when somebody says something that you take offense to, yeah. really the only way, well, I shouldn't maybe, maybe say the only way, but the most direct, the quickest way yeah. is to become their friend, like not be their enemy, like to react and oh, respond totally. in a very compassionate heartfelt way like if it hurts your feelings to have more of the approach of oh like oh, i wish you know that that kind of hurts my feelings when you say ouch like oh ouch that ouch was... yeah rather than like you son of a bull you know and this is anyone who's really again done training or education around activism and not just been an activist because they're angry but actually done research and training and education around activism is to not engage those who disagree with you and are protesting on the other side because it escalates the tension and the stress. And it basically just makes people dig their heels into the ground. And that's just with how the brain responds to stress. So the best way you can respond when somebody offends you or says something, and oftentimes a person doesn't mean offense. They're just saying it, maybe they heard it or it's just on the tip of their tongue and they say it. And if you're offended by that to be as gentle and friendly and kind as possible really to manage your own stress response because if you manage your stress response, you will de-escalate their stress response and then that increases comprehension and compassion in their brain. Mm -hmm. So if you approach somebody you know, that says or does something that offends you, the best possible response you can do to actually, to actually flip the switch in their brain from bias stress mode to a compassionate comprehension mode is to approach it in a stress reduction sort of mode. So to say it in a friendly way, to try to evoke some sort of that ouch. Like, I like that, like how you say that, just to say ouch, like that, that hurts me. Well, like, it's actually what you do with dogs um, mm -hmm. when they accidentally nip you or something in, in a playful way, but maybe a little too hard, you say ouch, and then mm -hmm. the dog will react. But then also it really, does apply to people too. Uh, and then just, I think something naturally comes out in people, if they hurt somebody, they mm -hmm. want to. Yeah, if you ca have care and compassion, it's kind of that, I mean, in our nature, we want to help and heal people who we feel deserve help and healing. <laughs> so if we don't think the person deserves help and healing, then we're not gonna do it. So it's kind of like with a dog too, if you come at it with anger and aggression, and trigger that stress response in them, then you're basically reinforcing the reaction of, oh, you're an enemy, I need to stay away from you. Like, you're a threat, you're harmful to me, I need to stay away. And unfortunately, especially with the younger generation, not to say it's just the younger generation, but it's just with social media and just everything that's kind of fear and anger driven, that, that people aren't emotionally aware enough to know that their stress response triggers the stress response in someone else. And it doesn't change minds. Like it doesn't change hearts. It doesn't change minds. It creates more stress and more tension and 
more division and all that. So, you know, in the in the protests and activism that I've done, that was like lesson number one was if people are out there shouting at you or arguing with you, you don't engage, just ignore them, de-escalate, reduce stress. You know, until you have that emotional regulation and you can just de-escalate it, it just keeps escalating. And so uh, I just wish more people understood that. And it's not about being morally superior. It's just knowing how the brain works. And I think that was the intent with pride, right? Is to, you went from this very, what kind of was originally the Stonewall riots and was a very violent, stress-inducing time. There was this wisdom of, we need to reach hearts. We need to reach minds. And the way you do that is you do that with happiness and with levity and with celebration and with uplifting messages and that was the strategy. I mean, that's the effectiveness of pride is this positive, uplifting message. And again, unfortunately, a lot of young people don't grasp that or understand that. And it's almost there's a wave of people who want to make pride hostile and aggressive and angry again. And they just don't understand the human condition, like how you actually reach people's hearts and minds. And it's not through violence and aggression. And by getting allies. That well. you reach through heart and mind, not yeah. through violence and aggression, right? So that's, that's what I'm saying is the whole point of keeping it positive and uplifting and celebratory and inclusive. It brings in more people. You bring in people. You, you reduce stress responses. You, you engage and activate that comprehension and compassionate part of people's brains and the, the light bulbs start to go off like oh wow these are people i should really care about like these people deserve our love these people deserve our care but if you come at people in anger and hostility and mm -hmm. vengeance it has the opposite effect it has people respond and these are people i need to stay away from these are people i feel th that threaten me yeah, and but, I just, but I also so. understand where a lot of that anger can come from. I mean, oh, it's, absolutely. it's a very natural part of... Anger is absolutely natural. Know. It's just unhealthy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's well, like a cancer, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. Cancer is natural too. Like yeah. there's carcinogens in our environment. Mm -hmm. You can't get rid of carcinogens. What you can do is you can do practices that reduce your risk. You, you, there's never 100%. You can't 100% eliminate anything. But... Is anger valid? Absolutely. Is cancer valid? Absolutely. Like you need proper healing and treatment and care. I heard a good psychological trick that you can use with people. If you are dealing with somebody who is very standoffish or aggressive in terms of how they're communicating with you and uh, are not uh, open to whatever you're trying to communicate, you can actually say to them first, are you open to a new perspective on this issue? Mm -hmm. And something happens in their brain that when they think about that, they don't want to say no, that would make them sound a certain way that they probably wouldn't want to come off. So mm -hmm. they would say yes, but by the act of them saying yes, Mm -hmm. It actually changes something in their brain and actually mm -hmm. makes the person more receptive 
to what you then have to say after that. Mm -hmm. So remember that. I, that, that. That's very important. So if you are dealing with somebody who is maybe hostile and you or are resist, resistant to what you're saying. Exactly. Because you're not attacking them. You're yeah. not shaming them. You're engaging their yeah. you're engaging their conscious mind to answer that question. So you're not coming at with name calling. You're not call, you know, you're not coming at them in an aggressive way. Right. It's kind of a way to open the door. So if they say no, I'm not open to it, then save your time. That's them closing <laughs> the door on you. Yeah. And then that's, you know, they have to consciously be aware of that then. That's on them. Yeah, yeah because if you attack them and their stress, their stress response is, I don't want to be attacked, so I'm closing the door, they, they just put the blame on you. Yeah. You attacked me, that's why I don't want to talk to you. Whereas if you ask that question and you make them decide, you're basically reducing their stress response. Right. And most people do, when they're not stressed, our brains are curious. Yeah. When we're not stressed, our brains, our brains want to learn. They want to know. And so if you don't stress somebody's brain and you engage them, once they say, yes, I'm open to other perspectives, and then they want to prove themselves right, you know, because the last thing they want then is um, contradicting what they just, just said. So it's, it's a psychological tactic that I think is really useful. If you could almost use the technique that you would maybe use in a relationship with people in the outside or outside your home, whether that's at work or just in, in some sort of public setting or your friends or whatever, mm -hmm. of saying, let's step away from this for a while. Let's calm down. Essentially, that's, you're, I, was, you're, I was getting triggered by that though, when somebody says, let calm down. I need that's to like, step away. And I, you probably yeah. noticed this about me, but I yeah. sometimes will just kind of shut down for a little bit and I will not talk about it anymore. And yeah. I will just go sit down somewhere away and we will then, um, oh, we've got a visitor from our, our daughter, Nayla, who's a Basenji sweet dog. Um, long nails. With long nails that click clack on our wood floors. Your brain and your body are in this very stressed out state. Yep. And taking a break and stepping away, part of that is just to understand again, the actual physiology that's going on is you are switching from your sympathetic nervous system. That's kind of your fight or flight stress response that is really powered by, you know, takes all the energy away from your conscious mind where your compassion and critical thinking are taking place. So you switch it from your sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight mode to your parasympathetic nervous system that's known as kind of like your rest and digest and repair state. So when you breathe and kind of calm that inside of your nervous system and get oxygen to your brain, you're empowering, you're charging up your brain to comprehend, to think more clearly, to think more critically, to have compassion. So just in those moments, just taking a minute or two minutes or 10 or however long you need to genuinely breathe de-escalate, lower your stress response, and engage that prefrontal cortex, that is really what you're doing, is you're, you're sending the energy back to that higher functioning part of your brain. So there's absolute science in there. It's not just, you know, magical thinking that the intent is that you're switching your nervous system from your fight or flight response to your 
repair and digest and rest mode that activates your prefrontal cortex. So it's fascinating when you learn about the brain, because again, when it comes to all these strategies to communicate better and to help reach people and to kind of change hearts and minds, like to know the science behind it, it's so important. And it's just oftentimes it's not taught, like people aren't aware. And so it just becomes butting heads you know, without really understanding why some of these practices are so important when you're trying to overcome these obstacles, the, these emotional obstacles. Awareness is, is huge in that, though. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that when I feel very stressed out and then there's a situation where you have to make an important decision or you need to problem solve together, I'll know that it's time to take a break because mm-hmm. my brain is not in the proper place to make those decisions or mm-hmm. problem solve. Or I know that if I continue, I'm going to say something that maybe is very damaging and can't be healed mm-hmm. for quite some time or at all. So mm-hmm. that drives me to be like, okay, <laughs> I need to go sit down. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's knowing yourself enough too, because again, we're all queer. <laughs> we're all unique and different and and neurodiverse. So you have to know yourself well enough and be accepting and proud. I mean, getting back to pride, like you need to really respect and care for yourself and know yourself enough to know how you feel, mm-hmm. why you feel the way you feel, what you need to navigate those situations. Because if you're on the autism spectrum, if you have a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, if you have ADHD, you know, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, PTSD, like or any undiagnosed mental health condition. I mean, everyone's walking around with some sort of mental health condition because our society is so bad at acknowledging that. And so we have this expectation that everyone should just calm down. You know, Taylor Swift, shake it off. So there are those people who maybe maybe a five-minute breather will do it, but there are other people that it's even harder. They might need to take the rest of the day off. Like if they get really bad, they might just need to completely disconnect for the day. Sure. You know, so it's really important when we're talking about diversity and identity and how you're functioning and dealing with stress and how to really take pride in yourself and be your best self. Like there's so many aspects to caring for yourself. And it's not just about going to the gym and getting ripped. (laughs) Yeah, I think the best thing that we can do in any situation is to just look the person straight in the eyes and say, I really think you need to calm down. (laughs) I think you're. I think you. you're overreacting. I think yeah, help. yeah. Condescension always helps really well. Yeah. So this was pretty heavy, but I, but that was a good conversation. And I think um, you know we have a little bit of time left. So I have a couple of questions for you that I think would be kind of more fun for Pride Month to talk about. Sure. And one of them is, have you ever done drag? <laughs> if so, are you willing to share the experience? And if not. Would you, and in what context? Or do you have any reservation? That's a lot of questions. <laughs> so just the topic of drag, I mean, essentially. So I have never done drag, other than probably when I was young, maybe wearing my mom's shoes or something for like a mm-hmm. minute. And I was like, ooh, this is fun, ha ha ha. And then running away and being like, okay, I'm gonna go play with my Barbies now. Um, <laughs> from one gay thing to another gay thing. Um, but then in my later life, you know, it's, it's evolved from how we see drag. You know, at first I had my reservations when I was in my very early 20s 
But I still was open to it, of course, but I just didn't have enough exposure to it. And of course, things like uh, RuPaul's Drag Race has obviously brought so many people and allies to the to just humanize these people who are doing drag, which I know there's a lot of people who are within the LGBTQ plus community who don't like the commercialization of RuPaul's Drag Race and of the community, but I see it as a way to bring more allies, yes. And, and it brought me closer to my own community as well. And so I'm grateful for that. And so I guess to answer your question, I have not done drag. And of course, when you watch the show and, and anything that contains drag in some way, you think, oh, wow, that looks so fun. That is so cool. I love the creativity of it. But then there's another part of me that's like, you know what? I'm going to leave that to the professionals. And <laughs> I'm just going to watch, enjoy, applaud, and support. And I am okay with that. I do not, I'm, I'm, I don't need to do drag, even though I love it. Mm -hmm. So that's just kind of my feelings on it. It's something that you and I have really bonded over too. You know, we talk about, yeah, and, and with, with our friends race. too, and yeah. you know, our favorite queens. And, it, and I also like when the show says, hey, also make sure you're supporting your local drag communities as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, not just girls on the show. And so that's, that's brought me closer to the uh, local drag community as well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and a couple of that we don't, I know you've uh, been in communication with, um, Nina D'Angelo. Once in a while, I'll say hello. And I think I know her from, I mean, way back when too. So, but it's off and on. Like, I don't go to the clubs anymore, but I'm out of drag. And then, so there's another drag queen, Maxie, locally in the Twin Cities, who was created by Wayne Liberta, so out of drag, who was a volunteer with Art Buddies when I ran Art Buddies. So when it comes to drag, I mean, I just, there's so many layers and levels to it that I don't, I, again, I don't think a lot of people really know. So I know from the origin of the word, I think, came from Shakespearean times. At least the theory goes. There might be different theories. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how much evidence there is for one or the other. But I think the accepted history, kind of the popular history of the word, is that it comes from Shakespearean times when men would play the female roles and that the drag is, was in reference to the gowns and the costumes that they would wear. So when they would say they were in drag, that was meant that they were playing a female character. And so that's what I know of it. So if anybody has any updates on the history of the word, let me know. But maybe we can get Nina D'Angelo on the, on the pod and we, yeah. can, we can ask her some questions. Yeah, make that. a comment, clarify. Yeah, we'll have to do <laughs> that on a, on a future show. That'd be fun. So within the LGBT community, even with the Stonewall riots, I mean, it was a lot of drag queens, but what was interesting with the era that I don't think a lot of people just on the street know, uh, unless you really dive into the history of the community, is that to live out in the open, you know, we talk about a lot about underground subcultures. And so to live in main culture, I mean, it was, you just kind of couldn't do it. I mean, if you did, you lived in pockets, you lived in New York, you lived in San Francisco, maybe in Minneapolis, but even in those areas, there was still subculture, it was still underground culture, and it just wasn't an accepted way of being, you know, mainstream. And so that really pushed people into that underworld, right? Because you're forced, you don't, you can't live above ground. So you're forced to be yourself underground and there's a lot of shadiness 
in that underworld and that was the mob and they were the ones that owned Stonewall, the bar. And so in a way the mob kind of used drag queens and, and the gay community, the queer community as as a front. They it was basically kind of like this deal like we'll be a safe space cuz we're we're paying off the cops to leave us alone so you can come and party here. But that didn't mean that the cops weren't still trying to find a way to bust them. Mm -hmm. So I always wonder, I mean, there's just not, not a lot of historical perspective on that aspect of it. And I just wonder, you know, how much with the mob's involvement, it just escalated. I mean, maybe for the better because pride came out of it, right? So, I mean, that was, I mean, there were other riots that had gone on around the country and other similar sort of abuses that happened at Stonewall. But... Uh, for some reason, and maybe just because it was New York and that's kind of a central, you know, hub just internationally. And so maybe it just, it had more prominence because of that. But there were other similar situations, very much like Stonewall that happened before that. And so that was just when it kind of took off. So, you know, with the drag circuit and what it meant to people back then, it was very much this is where I feel safe and it's underground. And it was maybe connected to a lot of other underground activity, which is again, why there's a lot of like prostitution associated with within the transgender community and the drag community historically, because that was kind of the only opportunity and avenue that people had to possibly live as themselves independently, you know, because they were forced underground, they were forced into these underground communities. So I think people are struggling with that being the history, that it was really about this being the only avenue and this underground community. And now it's all above ground. So now it's in pop culture and you have everybody embracing that. And I think it's hard for people who really find their power in that, in that queerness, like in that otherism, in that collective strife and that collective struggle that people have been through. And now it's kind of shattering that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, it almost is a threat to people thinking, well, if this is just mainstreamed, are people going to lose, you know, the relevance and the importance of, of what this meant? Like this was a life saver for so many people. And now it's just pop culture popcorn TV. And so mean, I can understand you mean people, a more mature people in the community might think that. Yeah. Or, or just even people who really have struggled themselves and identify with the struggle. And I mean, and again, for it's, it should be for the better that as things become more accepted and people are becoming more accepted and aware and educated and out and proud that there is more acceptance. Uh, but that doesn't mean that people aren't still struggling Sure. So I think some of the struggle, it's like you want to let go of the struggle because you want to celebrate the accomplishment and how much better things are than they were back then. But you don't want to forget the struggle because there are still people that struggle mm -hmm. in different parts of the world and different parts of the country. And it's not, not all New York. It's not all urban, you know, LGBTQ centers. You know, like there's a lot of areas that are still struggling with the concept. And, and so... Yeah, so it's just interesting. I pers I've, I've done drag before. The other thing that I was going to mention is the, creati the creative aspect of it and the entertainment aspect of it, which, again, I think for some that was the avenue. For others, I think drag was really a means to expressing and being themselves. So I think for a lot of people, drag became 
a way to explore that otherness, that gender that they maybe otherwise weren't able to express and then maybe found themselves through that process. Whereas for other people, it's like a creative expression. It's, you know, exploring all of who they are and it's not necessarily trying to figure out their identity. It's just a way to have fun with their identity. And the creative aspect of it is creating a character. So when drag queens actually create a character and they be, almost become somebody else, so you'll hear people, I mean, that can be really liberating and freeing for people. Mm -hmm. But for me, when I did it, it was great among friends at home when I was getting ready and dressed up, but going out in public, I, like I'm not, I don't really like acting. Like I, I'm not a good entertainer in terms of I'm going to embody another character and be a different person. Like I, I have a hard time doing that. Sure. And so when I was out in public, I had a hard time figuring out how to act because I was dressed. So I was dressed as a woman and it was for a cross-dressing party. So it was a party we were going to where everybody did drag, you know, those who identified as female would dress as male. And then those who identify as male would dress as female. And so it was just everybody, it was just for this party of friends. Mm, sure. And it was really fun. It was really fun getting ready and just um, exploring that side. And it was, you know, very freeing and just a lot of fun with friends. But then going out in public, not really knowing now, do I present myself as a different person, mm. as a different character, as a different name, with different mannerisms, or do I present myself as me? Do people see me as me? And so when we went to the club, it was very confusing because I didn't, when people came up to me, I didn't know, do they know it's me or do they see this other person? Yeah. I'd be curious to, to hear what Nina D'Angelo thinks about that. Uh, yeah, and, you know, it's I, such an interesting, I mean, just beyond the actual creation and dressing up, the actual interacting and, and socializing this sure. person, like this other side of you that people don't really, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a, it's such a unique experience. It's hard to describe. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Did you so, have any other questions that you wanted to ask? You know, with kind of the gay bars and gay clubs kind of becoming a thing of the past in a way, because now everyone's online, and especially after the last couple of years, with dating apps and social media and people can connect online, that being out, you know, dancing and socializing and going out doesn't seem quite as common as it was back then. So. I would just be curious if you ever enjoyed going to the bars and the clubs or if you don't miss it or because that that was a really big part of the community mm -hmm. for a very long time. And now it seems like it's not as much. Yeah. You know, even gay coffee shops. And it was just they had places that were just tailored for the community. And now partly because it's becoming more inclusive too that you don't have to just go to a gay bar to feel comfortable being gay. Like you can go to any bar and. Sure. Feel comfortable being yourself for the most part. So you're asking my thoughts on... Yeah, uh, kind of the bar scene. Bar like, scene. was that ever part of your experience? And in my, when I first moved to the, to the Twin Cities in the early... Or when I was in my early 20s. Uh, so in my early 20s to mid-20s, that's when I was attending gay bars, whether with new friends or just on my own and seeing what different gay bars uh, encompass, like what was the vibe, what did I most connect with. 
And, you know, some local gay bars here are the saloon, which can be very intense in terms of music and a lot of people, mm -hmm. a lot of a variety of, of people. And it, for me, definitely it was, it served a certain purpose for sure. It was more cruisy. Like it was loud. Well, it was that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was fun. If it got definitely fun. And it's a great place. So if you, if you haven't been there, check it out. But then I also found myself going to the Eagle, which mm -hmm. is kind of more for like the bearish. Leather daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Bearish mature. leather type uh, fellows. And so I kind of found myself more attracted to going to that place on certain occasions. Haha. <laughs> I did attend more, more so place called the 19 mm. and that was definitely a place i felt was kind of more catered to lgbtq plus introverts mm -hmm. that was more <laughs> of a pub that, like that that was, that was, more that of was a, a pub. quintessential pub because they had like yeah. dart they had like a dartboard if you come to the twin cities pool table if you live in the twin cities and you haven't been to the, the the 19 that is a great place and i had a lot of wonderful times there just getting to know people by loring park in case people come by in loring from park and so that was a lot of fun and it was more of my vibe in terms of just uh connecting with people in the community mm -hmm. when i didn't really know a lot of people mm -hmm. and uh, it was a little more social yeah yeah definitely you didn't go there to stand on the wall with the music pumping like you went there because the music wasn't super loud but it, you could I, kind with of talk me to though people. you know it, it kind of depended on my mood on mm -hmm. what I felt like I was ready for. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I would kind of be ready. I'd be like, ooh, I want to I wanna see like a go-go dancer and I want to hear some pumping music and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. So, and that's where the saloon really kind of... Oh, and the 90s was a lot like that too. And yeah. the 90s, I don't know when they were founded. I mean, the saloon, they've all been around for as long as I've known. Yeah. I want to think the 90s is older, the gay 90s. Yeah. Not a great uh, place. But there too, like the gay nineties, it's it's a double entendre, right? Because yeah. meaning gay as in happy. Yeah. And I mean it was around before the nineties. So I'm not sure where the nineties come in, if it's the eighteen nineties. <laughs> like I don't know where the nineties that's a now I'm curious. Please. I'm telling you, we got to have Nina D'Angelo on the show. She can just answer all these questions for us, I'm sure. And if you've That's never, if you haven't been exposed to Nina D'Angelo, check her out. Absolutely incredible performer, wonderful person. Yeah, just so many great drag queens. And again, the work and the creativity and the commitment uh, that go into it and the cost and the money. And it's almost like being a one person theater. Mm hmm. It's not just knowing the music. It's not just knowing your lines and knowing the delivery. It's creating all of this other stuff that goes with it. So, yeah, yeah, there's just so much. And the physicality of it. I mean, mm -hmm. again, you're not just standing there most of the time. I mean, there are drag queens that yeah. have different acts and, and they're less less physical in nature. But some of them are like acrobats. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's so much physicality involved. Well, and two, you know, there's something this is funny uh, at when I was working in retail, and, you know, I didn't always talk to everybody at work, uh, but there was someone in particular who I found out after I had left was uh, a drag performer. And I was so disappointed to find that out after I left. I would, <laughs> you know, I would have been so curious to, about their experience and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and would have definitely attended one of their mm -hmm. shows and supported mm -hmm. them, you know, supported my coworker. And, and if anybody uh, wants to check her out, uh, her name is Zasha Katz. And she's wonderful. 
wonderful Twin Cities performer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think I think as we're talking, I think drag queens are the closest thing to superheroes. Yeah, that there are. Yep. You know, people love you and adore you. You're going out saving the world by making people happy. You know, you know, and then you go back into your Clark Kent mode. You know? Well, the other thing, too, is that people always say, and like on drag shows and stuff, too, and I don't want to sound ignorant either, like I, I know this, but, but an observation that I've had is that people and these drag performers say, it's my alter ego, it's not me, it's someone else or whatever, but it is them. That yes. is a part of them. That is coming from them. So even the 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 other the character, you know, air quotes I'm making right now that yeah. they created, that is them. So I I consider that a part of yeah. who that person is, and so I appreciate and yeah love. It, I think when people that. say that too, I think it's part of it is maybe it's it's a reflection of maybe their ideas their hopes and their dreams or maybe their fears, mm. you know? So I think when people say it's my alter ego or it's not quite who I am, I mean, it's all of them. They created it, but it might be they want in their mind, what are the qualities that aren't them and then put those into a character. And now you can be that too. Yep. So it's freeing. It's this way to be somebody you're not. So I think that's, why that's related in a lot of ways, but that concept, that creation still came from them. Exactly. So that's still an aspect of their creativity. Exactly. Of their imagination. And I love it and I love it all. Me too. Yeah. I I uh you know I've I've grown a greater appreciation for drag over the years and just, you know, again, that learning the history always helps as well. Absolutely. I I feel like we only touched on just like the tip of the iceberg with this. And our friend Zaylor, Zaylor Stout. Yep. He, I know, wrote a book called Our Gay History in 50, in 50 States. States. Yeah. yeah. And yep. I just thought that was so fantastic. Check it out on Facebook or Instagram. I think I, I follow him there. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. <laughs> I love it. Happy Pride Month. Happy everybody. Pride Month. Everybody in the LGBTQ plus community. Yes. And however you identify, be proud of yourself, accept yourself, respect yourself, and care for yourself. Hope you enjoyed listening. If you did, please follow and share with your friends who might enjoy it too. And you know what else you can do? You can rate the podcast. Five stars if you'd like. And with that, bye lover. Bye lover. Hey, lover. If you're enjoying the conversations we have on this podcast, you should check out my audiobook episodes on My Brain Can't Poop, a mental fitness guide for humans, where I read a chapter each week that dives into brain health and mental function to help you feel and do your best as you navigate our stressed out world. It's a bit of storytelling with a bit of science and a lot of heart and humor. As funny as brain health can be, seriously. So if you don't find my voice too grating and you want to hear me read to you, check out My Brain Can't Poop on your favorite podcast app. And thank you for being the reason Nick and I do this too, to spend this special time with you.